are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Melinda Cromines. Melinda works in behavioral health and is a dancer, choreographer, and instructor. We'll be right back with Melinda, but first let's talk about packing. Let's start with a quote from Diane von Furstenberg, the designer. She says, I get ideas about what is essential when packing my suitcase. And that's really true. When you're packing up your bag, and I am packing to go away for an entire month, (laughs) and just packing my bag, I realize, like, what do I really need? What do I really need if I'm, I'm gone for a month? When I took a big walk across the country, walked for five months with just what I could carry on my back, I only had two outfits, five pairs of underwear, but only two outfits because I had a bunch of electronics gear because I was broadcasting 24 hours a day with a webcam. But I realized I don't need much. Why do I have all these things? What are all these things for? Who needs these? (laughs) And so I feel in my life, there have been a number of times when I've packed up my whole life, you know, packing up my life to go to college, like what did I need? What could I fit in a dorm room? It's it's minimal. And then packing up again to move to Boston, packing up a little VW bug with my boyfriend and me and all our stuff and an air mare mattress that actually deflated every night. <laughs> We'd wake up on the hard floor. And, you know, here I am a packing again. I'm I'm in my 40s and I'm packing to go to France for a month and I'm really excited. I'm going to go to an artist and writer's residency and just with be with creative people where that's their purpose. That's why they're there is to be creative. This is the first forward-thinking plan I've made just for me. I'm going by myself. This is the first forward-thinking plan that I have done since my depression really started four years ago when my dad died. Most everything else has just kind of happened, and I've kind of said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on to this thing, and I'm on to that thing, and I've got to get this done, and I've got to get that done, and feeling like I'm scrambling all the time. And this is really feels like the first time I've been maybe out of my depression and making a forward plan. And since I I made these plans two months ago, everything has felt lighter. I don't know, maybe having something to look forward to. And then packing up my stuff made me sort of nervous. (laughs) I got to get my house ready. I'm going to have a house guest while I'm gone. And I got to get my house ready and my stuff organized. And I got to figure out what I need to have with me. And because it's a residency, I have to be honest, I'm packing more art supplies than clothing and, you know, personal items. They have toothbrushes everywhere. I'm bringing a toothbrush, but you know, they have more toothpaste. They have more shampoo. They sell all, everything you personally need for your comfort is also there in other countries because people, you know, need stuff. So when going for a month, the packing is really down to like, what do I, what is essential? What does one really need to live somewhere else for a month? And honestly, it's a week's worth of clothing and a bunch of art supplies (laughs) and a camera. And so um, I have another uh, thing that I looked up. It's called Traveling with Depression, What to Expect. And this is from WebMD. Travel, according to Philip Muskin, MD, can affect people in different ways. Muskin is a professor of clinical psychiatry and chief consultant liaison psychiatry at Columbia University Medical Center in New York. He tells WebMD, 
On one hand, being in a fresh setting can be very beneficial. You're in a new location, on vacation, you don't need to get up at six in the morning for the daily commute. In this fresh environment, stressors are reduced and you feel a heck of a lot better without the pressures that holiday blues have been magnifying. And this was about traveling around the holidays, but this is another holiday, it's Memorial Day. I'm gonna actually fly out on Memorial Day. On the other hand, Muskin says, travel is far more stressful than it used to be. We like to think of it as over the river and through the woods, he says. But it's not. It's more like eight hours in traffic on the Jersey Turnpike or long, seemingly endless lines in the airport. And I've been hearing all these news reports of really slowed down airport lines. TSA is having a hard time staffing enough people to look at enough bags. So when I booked my flight, I left an extra four hours in LA because I'm taking different airlines. So I'm getting to LA and then I have an extra four hours because I don't want to miss my plane to France. When I get to France, I only left two and a qu- you know, three quarters hours to get on the next plane because if I miss it, I'll find another way to get to Toulouse. <laughs> I'll, there's another way to get there. I can take a train and, and the airline, the air ticket weirdly was $53 from Paris to Toulouse. And the train was more money. So I'm like, okay, if I lose out on it, fine. I've lost $53. Everything will be all right. So anyway, the advice is stress. Travel can be very stressful, he says. If you're depressed, your frustration tolerance doesn't have that role with the punches resiliency. As a result, when something happens, like your flight gets delayed, you're less likely to tell yourself, it's no big deal. Preparation is essential anytime you travel, says Helen Grudst, PhD, a clinical psychologist in Beverly Hills, California and past president of LA County Psychological Association. Preparation is your best inoculation against stress. The preparation that Gretz is talking about isn't deciding what clothes you're going to take. You need to prepare yourself emotionally. How are you going to empower yourself? And I've been thinking about that. How am I going to empower myself? How am I going to get through all the things that it takes, you know, between here and there? And it's, I'm leaving it 10 a.m. And of course, I have to get to the airport at 8.30. Tucson isn't too bad with the lines and stuff. We're a nice little airport. But I have to get there at 8.30. And I'm not going to get there till 8 o'clock the next day, 8 p.m. So it's a more than 24-hour flight. And how do I empower myself? In preparation, they said as part of it, it's not the physical packing. I've got that. My stuff is all packed. It's the emotional packing up. So last night, my boyfriend came over and we actually cried quite a bit. <laughs> I'm going to be gone for a month and he can't come. It's an, it's an artist and writer's residency. Unless he wanted to go write a book while he's there, he's not coming. He just looked at me and he said, you're my best friend. And I said, you're my best friend. So to emotionally pack up, what does that look like? To empower yourself and emotionally pack up. I've been spending this past week packing my bag and packing away my emotionals things. Like I've been having lunch with a friend and telling them I love them and having dinner and going for a walk. You know, school ended and I had a little time and I knew I needed to pack, but I, without even reading this article on packing up your emotional needs, I've been trying to do that this week, spend the time with people I love and, and pack up my house and pack up my yard, but also say to a good friend, can you, can you take these plants? Would you love them while I'm gone? I don't know who's going to feed the porch kitties, but I'm sure the neighbors can, can pick up the slack. I've cats that occasionally show up and I sometimes give them a little food. To prepare for a long journey, 
and it in and packing up your house to move or packing up your house to go away or go visit family on Memorial Day or go visit the family and go to, you know, it's Memorial Day. So go see a loved one who passed on because of their military service. These, these are the things that can prepare you for the emotional turmoils. So pack emotionally as well as pack physically if you're traveling this weekend. Much love to you all. And I'll just end with a quote. Travel must make one mod, I'm sorry, travel makes one modest. You see what a tiny place you occupy in the world. Gustave Flaubert. So I hope to come away feeling that I live in my own little tiny corner and it's no big deal. <laughs> so today we have with us a studio, Melinda Chromius. Melinda works in behavioral health and is a dancer, choreographer, and instructor. Hello, Melinda. Welcome to the depression session. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. So anything exciting and new with you these days? What are you up to? What's fun in your life? Well, I would have to say I am embarking into teaching. I've been taking dance instruction for about eight years. And off and on, I have taught, but not like my own class. So mm. that is happening. It's going to be actually next Saturday, so that'll be my debut, I guess. So I'm really looking forward to that. Nervous, but looking forward to it. And that's exciting. I mean, teaching is wonderful. I love it personally. There's something very different when you've learned a set of skills and you can pass them on to somebody. Yeah. And the the ways, I, mean, I think dance must be like art, the ways that it helped me, I hope to help someone else. Exactly. I feel just like that to really embody the the sensation. I think when you know we have challenges the way we do, there's a disconnect between the body and the mind. And so when you can ground down feeling sensations creep through your feet all the way up, opening up literally, it really helps people. It helped me. Yeah. And and that's the I think that you can hardly dance without it opening you up a little bit. You can you know that if you're going to move your body, you have to be in your body. Exactly. Yeah. And for those of us have depression or OCD, we're, we're in our heads. We have a, we have a condo built in our head. <laughs> like that. Yeah. So the dancing is definitely, um, is helpful. It's healing. Just transition, transitioning into an instructor is, is different and new. So I'm, I'm learning. Are you, are you packed up for it? <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so it's just, uh, waiting yeah. to present. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's really exciting, and it's, it's a, it's a brave thing to start something new. Yes, thank you. It it sure is, and it just it pushes you forward. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I only know that I've grown just doing the practice, and the teaching will give me some kind of lesson. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I've been teaching since so. My first teaching gig was in 1993. I did a summer arts program and my mom took my class and I still remember I hushed her. I said, you know, can you two quiet down? People are trying to concentrate because, you know, sometimes when you're drawing, it's good to just have a quiet space. And then I had this moment of like, oh my goodness, I just hushed my mom without even thinking about it. I must be a teacher now. Yeah, you've, you've gone up to that level. <laughs> you have to quiet your mom. But uh, over the years, I've found with teaching, you just get little new insights as you go along of like, it doesn't work for everybody. You're, whatever your teaching style is, there will be people who are drawn to it and people who are like, that is not for me. Exactly. And I think I'm a little bit, I have some trepidation about that. I'm not sure wholeheartedly why it is a kind of 
in my brain. Like, oh, are they going to like it? Right. And there'll be someone who loves it and there'll be someone who doesn't. And then, then you know you're doing it right. Okay. That's good to hear. Thank you. It's just like, I'm kind of stuck in the way I'm thinking about this, but but the main goal is to do it and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, Melinda, tell us the story of your depression. Okay. Well, so I would have to say that I was born this way. You could probably maybe call it being sensitive. I definitely was told growing up to let my skin get thicker. Well, first I'll just say that I was, I was born into an environment where it was very unhealthy, a lot of dysfunction in my family. All forms of abuse happened to me. As time went on and as I grew in this family, I looked to food for comfort. Mm-hmm. So food was my comfort. Then, well, let me just say that this is how I grew up. So I only knew sadness or fear or anger or that's what was in my household amongst other types of forms of abuse. So I I didn't grow up with a normative quote social skill set. So in school I was often told how weird I was or I'm strange that I just I don't fit in and I just didn't. And I'm from a Mexican household, so I didn't really click with my own culture. These are those little elements, I think, that have contributed to my depression on top of being, I think, born like this. So as, you know, time goes on, I'm I'm in college, and I'm realizing that something is really, really wrong with my behavior, meaning that I was, well, first of all, college was really difficult for me. I was very sad. I had panic attacks swirling, racing, negative thoughts, obsessions, uh, compulsions. It seems like the more I thought and used my brain in school, the worse my conditioning was becoming. Here I am and, you know, made a mistake. I got into a long-term relationship without telling my boyfriend how sick I really was. And that went through 15 years of a kind of tumultuous up and down type of relationship till I finally broke down in front of him. And I made the decision to get some help from a a psychologist. As that saying goes, things get worse before they get better. As I went through therapy and started purging out everything that I had kind of stuffed down since birth, things got really difficult. So the result was that first I lost my job because I was no longer able to do the daily functions of the job because my depression, depression's like a giant spider web. You know, you have all these other diagnoses that come out of depression. So I had anxiety. I ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder and I have obsessive compulsive disorder. So I wasn't able to do the job. And then at the same time, I ended up losing this 15-year relationship. So here's what I call when the depression waves, the waves began. So what I call wave one was happening where I was slipping back into a serious depression where I was not self-caring, not coping. I stopped eating and drinking water for like a month. And I had a constant stomachache that lasted for six months. Yet, I was still working, but I was crying all the time. 
So I wasn't in a good place and I just should have stayed home and took care of myself instead of being at work, but I didn't. I ended up in crisis and I ended up at Sam Heck. So that's their crisis clinic. And there they gave me an SMI designation. I was sent out to pay for health agency where I was just kind of given pill after pill after pill, kind of like a cocktail. So I guess I got kind of stable. I was I was working at a job where I was quite miserable. I transferred out of there and and I I went to another position and I seemed to get better. Um it was really slow though. I was I was always on my feet. These are the things that helped me. I was using my hands. I felt like a purpose of what I was doing there. I was helping people. I had nice coworkers and friends to talk to and those are the things that seemed to help me. You know, all of this by the way, I was still dancing the entire time. The dancing never stopped. So that combined with all I just said seemed to really help me kind of get back on my feet. So I, I, I mentioned the waves because it comes in and it goes. I mean, the depression is like the ocean, you know, it, there's wave one, wave two, wave 10, you know, it just, it's always coming back and moving out. At least that's, that's my experience with that. Thank you. Thanks so much for your story. There's definitely a lot of things I relate to in that. The I think one of the things is having a relationship. Like, how do you have a relationship when you're not okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I struggle that with with that with my partner. But he's 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 had his struggles. I've had my struggles. The only thing that keeps it together is talking about it. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, I encountered a lot of stigma with family, with friends. I can't tell you how many people I've lost. Yeah. And I'm still losing because depression is exhausting. Depression is, it's a kind of a monster <laughs> in a yeah. way. And people don't want to hear it or see it or be around it. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that has to be talked about. If you really love and care for the person, you have to talk about it. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, Dan said last week that he was, he was, feeling really, really down at one point and thinking about you doing himself harm. Mm-hmm. And he said, I didn't tell anyone because you're supposed to, you're supposed to tell somebody and talk about it. That makes, makes it kind of go away or at least relieves it and can help you get help. But he's like, I didn't want to tell anyone because what if I actually did something? Mm-hmm. And there's this burden that you carry of like, well, if I tell someone, then they will have to live the rest of their life knowing that they, they didn't help me. Or so he said, I just didn't feel like I could tell anybody. Oh, wow. And and I think one of the things we talked about at the practice session was just that isolation that you end up feeling. Right. Yeah, we did chat about that. And um, that is such a, a, again, it's like a little demon that's on your shoulder. So if you get invited out somewhere, you really want to, you really do want to be around people. But at the same time, the depression kicks in, which makes you isolate. It's like a, this living paradox of, you know, light and dark and yes and no and yin and yang and so you really do want to be around people and you want to be social but this disease is very difficult and it almost doesn't let you so you constantly have to literally challenge it in other words you're afraid of your own thoughts you're afraid of your own mind when you have depression that's really difficult to carry around every day and so it's it's work <laughs> there's no doubt that you you have to work when you have these Dis- I don't know, disabilities, the word, it's, it's definitely an illness. Yeah. It's and, an illness. And it can coat and cover everything a little bit, even yeah. when you're having a good time. It's they're kind of at the back of it. Right. So when I'm having these 
like, for example, I know I'm going to teach and I'm just literally, I'm haunted by all these little demons on my shoulder telling me all these really negative things when it's so useless and, and it's not, it's not real. Yeah. I almost feel like there's two, two parts of your brain, the one that's for you and the one that's against you. Right. Well, it's kind of like, <laughs> and they have a little dialogue. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Mr. Spock, you know, he's got Vulcan and he's got human and, and they're challenging each other all the time. That's a good metaphor about what this thing does to you. <laughs> and I almost feel like for me, the journey has been toward accepting both voices. Right. That the negative voice is not going away. Right. I can't tell it to shut up. It's not going to. So it, allow it to have its say, yeah. embrace the things that it has to say, right. and then say, okay, you've had your say. Thank you for sharing, and right. let's move on. <laughs> right, exactly. I think one of the terrible things to do is to kind of push away your dark side because it's there, and you need every piece of you to yeah. function. And so some of that negativity can be channeled outward into something good, but to totally say, oh, well, no, I don't do this or I don't do that. It's like, you have to be fully human person. And for some of us who catastrophize and think terrible things, especially driving down the street, you know, again, it's, it's really important to know that those are just thoughts, yeah. just thoughts. And even if you say it out loud to like a psychologist, again, the thoughts. Yeah. I, I, I remember I had this boyfriend, we'd be driving around. I have terrible depth perception. <laughs> I just, I just don't see, I can't tell how far ahead something is or oh. I can't catch a ball. Right. <laughs> and he said, you have terrible depth perception, but great death perception oh. because I was always, he's like, you get closer to that car. And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm just going to leave a little extra space. And he's like, I, he's like, well, what is that? I said, well, I can just, it, to me, it's two tons of metal hurtling through space. It's not slow and it's not safe. And, 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 and so I'm pretty conscious when I'm driving that I, I don't, don't have good depth perception and that, that I have this idea that if someone runs out in front of you, you have to be able to stop. Right. Or if the person right. in front of you slams on the brakes or if somebody cuts in front of you right. and he would drive very much like I need to teach that person a lesson. They need to move over. Oh. And I'm like, I, I'm, I can't do this. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that either. Yeah. And he's like, you have great death, death perception. <laughs> I'd be like, well, thank you for that. I'm just being cautious, which you were probably super duper over, overcompensating because you don't want to hit somebody. And then if you have these illnesses, you know, where you have OCD or what yeah. if I hit somebody or what if I run over somebody, those are the fears of hurting someone. And I can see them. It's at the forefront. I can see them. They pop into my head. I'll be walking along and I see myself falling off the cliff. So sure. it's like that kind of death perception right. <laughs> makes me a little more cautious. And I think it's related to OCD. I yeah, do. It Where totally it's is. like a little thought that pops into your head that circles around like that's mm -hmm. not happening. I'm not actually falling off the cliff. I'm totally safe. There's a railing. I'm holding on. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> or you feel like jump. I'm going to jump or something. Yeah. Some, OCD has so many manifestations. Yeah. I really liked your image of the spider web, that at the center is the depression, and yeah. then there's all these threads that come out from it. Yeah. There can be good threads that come out from it, too. Sure. It's not all negative. I like the way depression slows me down, because sure. otherwise I'm hurtling. My brain is going a million miles per hour, and depression is the opposite of that, almost, right. where it slows you down and you can't think. I call it hibernating. Right. That's a very good word. I like that. In fact... I was thinking, you know, without my depression, I wouldn't have been able to kind of move in a different direction where I'm going now because I finally accepted it and came to it and kind of like a surrender. 
Yeah. Like I just surrender. You know what I mean? I have this, but through it, I was able to, well, like, like you pointed out, it does literally slow you down. So you have to um, kind of adhere to what's happening in your mind and also your body. It teaches you respect in a different way for yourself and for other people. Yeah, it does. Respect your limits. Yeah. And there's something very, um, you know, it's like a fine line again with sensitive depression, beautifulness, sensitive, empathic people, I think are, have their toe in depression. So there's something really melancholy about it, but some people kind of like sitting in the sadness. So you might want to hear that sad song, or you might want to see that sad movie because it's going to purge something out that you need to get out. Or honestly, something about it makes you feel really good. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, again, that's a little bit difficult to explain. You just, you feel, you hear that sad song. You're like, oh my God, I totally, I'm going to start crying. But you're like, I love it. I just love sitting in this, but not for too long. Right. Because that's (laughs) the thing is we all have that dark side. We all have the part of our, our, our self and our brain that, wants to curl up and and i i really think everybody has depression at some point in their life yeah i agree i heard a statistic that it's 10 percent, and i keep thinking that's the 10 percent i know then because i really i think everyone at least at some point in their life has one of those moments where everything just slows down and you whether it's through a tragedy or through something just regular life you have depression and it just comes and it goes like you said with the waves it washes over you and as with water if you can float in it, you can crest those waves and be fine. If you stand against it, right. it's going to knock you down. Yeah. And those are my experiences. I forgot to mention my wave two after wave one. I had a wave two. It, it does seem that the more you fight your own brain, the more you're going to hurt yourself. It's better to just surrender, say you need help and get help and, and hopefully get past the stigma that you feel within yourself. Like it's awful to judge yourself. So try not to judge yourself, you know, just say you need help and get it. And that's it. And say, this is who I am. And it's perfectly normal for me. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I think another, again, another shame factor Mm -hmm. that people give, um, unfortunately to those that have illnesses. It's, I don't think it's come around yet that mental illness is the same as cancer. Yeah. It's the same as diabetes. It is the same. So it's a life destroying illness. Yes, it is. And once, while not once, but it just seems like it's slow creeping kind of effort to get awareness out there with information and get people to be more understanding. That's the real crux of just the non judgment. Cause wow. Yeah. Once you get judged, it, that's tough. Yeah. And that is a perfect note to end the show. I thank you so much for coming today and sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for being on the depression session. Thank you. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.